0: Wait, so you're telling me i got to live in a world now without Jeff Beck? I literally don't know how to begin processing this. Certainly can't do it alone. Got to talk with somebody about it, so I've got an idea. Let's drop the copter on Steve Lukather's front lawn. Okay, we're going to hear some Jeff Beck today for sure, but let's open with a little Steve Lukather tune. Okay, I don't know about you, but I think I can hear some Jeff Beck in there. I hear Jeff Beck in all of us. Any great guitar player, you're going to hear some Jeff Beck, and it's always a compliment. I mean, normally if someone says, hey, you remind me of the playing of so-and-so or, or that thing you did sounds like so-and-so, that's not our favorite thing to hear as guitar players. But since the 60s on up through the present, whenever anyone has said to somebody else, you sound like Jeff Beck, that has always been a compliment. Not that anyone could sound like Jeff Beck. This song, by the way, is called Song for Jeff, as Lukather fans know, but technically it's dedicated to Jeff Porcaro, the late great drummer of Toto, and of course, one of Luke's great brothers and friends, and they worked on so many other incredible albums together, huge artists. But maybe there's more to that title. We'll find out when we talk to Luke. But give me a few minutes to kind of just reflect on Jeff Beck. I mean, if you analyze Jeff Beck, in my opinion, he's the king of the rock lead guitar sound in so many respects. The way he does things is just a masterclass on bending notes or incorporating harmonics into melodies the whammy bar. He's the king of the whammy bar, especially the floating trim. I mean, it's sick. He's also the king of space. What I mean by that is so many rock guitarists today, whether they play big long notes or lots of fast flurries of notes, I mean, we all do it. We play so much and fill up so much space. Not Jeff Beck, who never did that. There was always so much air between the notes, which made them sound huge and dimensional. Most of all, though, Jeff Beck is the king of melody. He could tell a story melodically. He could keep you interested. Very few people have been able to play huge rooms all over the world for decades, in festivals, playing instrumental guitar music. I mean, besides Jeff Beck, pretty much the only person I can name... Is another guy who always values melody and songcraft over everything else, Joe Satriani. Beck could have gone in a more pop, rock, whatever, platinum selling, do the business thing kind of direction, but he was always chasing something deeper, a new sound, deeper harmonies, deeper melodies. I mean, he came up in England, of course, with several other future guitar gods, including his teenage buddy and Yardbirds bandmate, Jimmy Page. But Beck was never a recycler. He came from the blues, but he always pushed things so far, you know, incorporating everything from Motown. I mean, heck, he was on Stevie Wonder's talking book record. And Jeff Beck also, of course, incorporated modal sounds, uh, you know, inspired by like Ravi Shankar. And ultimately with no formal training, Jeff incorporated a complex sort of jazz aesthetic that was always led by that huge guitar sound. It was still rock to my ears but it had the adventure and the badass grooves and cool chord changes of jazz and jazz fusion I mean someone once said something about when god wanted an nfl running back he got out his chisel and carved walter payton well well i feel the same thing about when god wanted a guitar player suddenly we had jeff beck No matter what style Jeff was playing, he always had this thunder in his fingers and this unpredictability. As my friend Gretchen Mann once said years ago after we saw Jeff Beck play in L.A., she said, everything he touches turns to badass. Jeff also with Jeff Beck Group, you know, Rod Stewart on lead vocals, he pioneered the huge rock band format, the template, where you have bass, drums, guitar, and a front man or front person, which we've seen forever, everyone from Van Halen to the band that came out soon after the Jeff Beck Group, Led Zeppelin. But Jeff, you know, where he ended up was far from the rock blues format, starting with maybe Blow by Blow, his album in the mid-70s going forward, and perhaps taking inspiration from Mahavishnu Orchestra and from Billy Cobham's Spectrum record. He created this huge style of rock instrumentals with interesting chord changes, fat grooves, and always killer musicians. Whenever he could, he got the best players. Some could say it's like jazz fusion or rock fusion, but to me, it's a genre all its own. It's just Jeff Beck. I mean, another great way to tell who a truly great guitarist is, is to ask a great drummer, bassist, or keyboardist, someone who's seen music evolve for a few decades, ask them who their favorite guitar is. Jeff Beck is probably his name. Well, it probably comes up quite a bit on those lists. So much groove. Drummers loved him. It's funny, my good buddy Ravi Abkarian, one of my best friends, has evolved you know, from being the adolescent rock guitarist I met in junior high school to being a fiercely dedicated jazz bassist, upright bassist, and director of Oaktown Jazz Workshops. And I love Ravi because he's so honest about his opinions, one of which seems to be, if I'm not mistaken, that he basically fucking hates rock music. <laughs> I mean, interesting, he likes Taylor Swift, I do too, but there's like nothing in between. It goes straight from there to Charles Mingus except for Jeff Beck. Ravi would always, just like the rest of us, pay that 75 bucks or whatever to go see Jeff play when he came through town. I have singer friends that like Jeff Beck. Everyone liked Jeff Beck. B.B. King apparently said that he was his favorite rock guitarist, if I got that right. Speaking of Charles Mingus, here's Jeff doing Goodbye Pork Pie Hat from Live at Ronnie Scott's, one of my true Desert Island Discs. One thing I might add, and some rock fans might take issue with this first part, is that, in my opinion, judging from the videos I've seen of them and the live albums, and as great as they were live, Led Zeppelin was best in the studio. Yes, I saw Song Remains the Same a million times. I'd go to the UC Theater movie house where they play, you know, rerun movies, and every time they played that movie, they'd bring in a big PA system so it was extra loud. And there are magical moments in it. But Jimmy Page's genius, I've always thought, is his layering, his parts, his melody, his tunings, his orchestrations, and that production chops. I mean, Jimmy Page is a huge part of the John Bonham drum sound. Nothing sounds like a Zeppelin record. Jeff Beck's records, on the other hand, as great as they were, well, it was always, I think, more transcendent to see him live that air of spontaneity and the hugeness of the sound. I say this as someone who's been seeing Jeff since I was 14 when I saw him steal the show from Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton at Ronnie Lane's Arms Benefit in 83 at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. And Jeff just got better and better each year to hear that incredible tone filling the room. Just a guy up there, bareback, as I describe it, on a Strat because he's bareback in that he has no locking trim to save him. No humbucker for extra distortion. He's playing a floating bridge, which can always go haywire on you if you breathe on it wrong. He's playing without a pick and seemingly with not even a guitar tuner to fall back on, often tuning on the fly between songs by ear. To see him pulling lightning bolts out of the sky like that and filling up the arena with that glorious sound, well, if you missed it, I am so sorry. Anyhow, so yeah, I'm Jude Gold. This is No Guitar Is Safe, the guitar show where guitar heroes plug in I'm also one of many, many legions of guitar players who wears my Jeff Beck influence proudly, as you can hear on this little clip. Recorded on a Jeff Beck Stratocaster, but I'm going to cut that off because this ain't about me. I just can't wait to get over to the Lukather's house who had many adventures with Jeff Beck and dive in. If you're new to the show, this show is always about playing guitar with the guests, and they're showing us exactly what they do, and maybe we even jam a bit. But on special or somber occasions such as this, I'll make an exception. No guitar today, but we'll listen to music and talk about Jeff Beck. By the way, you should go back and listen to episode 64 with me and Luca where we play guitar and he relives so many of his incredible career moments. Great episode. A little backstory on Luke and myself. You know, I've known him for 20 years since I started interviewing him. And we've become friends because he's so easy to become friends with. And we've done events together, including Tour New Zealand. Me playing with Jefferson Starship. And they were headlining Toto. That was in 2019. So I just got back from New Zealand, actually. And I called Luke up after this Jeff Beck craziness, unbelievableness. I said, I'm coming over. And despite him being super busy with upcoming Toto tours, Ringo Starr dates working on new songs for Ringo and a new solo album of his own that should be out early summer. Luke took time to sit by the fire in his house on a cold gray drizzly Thursday afternoon. we just 15 minutes earlier. Got the news that another of his friends had passed away. David Crosby. Despite all that, Luke decided to meet and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Luke for zero notice and not kicking me off your lawn. And thanks to guitar player and guitarplayer.com. All right, let's go to Luke's house where he is telling me about the first time he played with Jeff Beck. Keep it alive till you're 95,
1: y'all. Is
0: so when did you meet Jeff Beck? Met
1: him in 1986, uh, Mr. Udo from Japan, who we've had a long relationship with as the big promoter in Japan. We've always worked with for 40 some odd years he knew how much i loved jeff you know and he put together some guitar extravaganza it was a one off jam thing with carlos santana me and jeff now i was when i got the call i was ecstatic but then i was scared shitless you know i mean there's carlos santana and jeff beck you know these these were my heroes growing up and shit and uh, you know in particular i mean i love carlos but i mean in particular jeff's playing hit me hard just as much as hendrix or you know anybody that was just came out post Beatles you know what I mean I you know obviously Clapton, Page are my heroes too you know but Beck you know because we you know after that we we hit it off as friends you know and we were really super tight for 12 years or something like that saw each other all the time talked on the phone all the time and, and we every time we came into town or when I was over there we'd always hang and it was it was always great you know had a lot of laughs, you know what I mean, and then he was trying to make a record. He couldn't find anybody he wanted to work with. He tried it with two other people and failed came to l a and uh we you know I went over to Tony Hymus wrote a bunch of great songs, and the band was Pino palladino Manocchi and uh and jeff and and Tony Hymus, obviously on keyboards and I went over i said we, oh, let me help you make the record man let me see, you know let's see how it goes, you know and uh, there's a much longer story to it. But anyway, that was the end. Of, and we did about six weeks at Dave Gilmore's studio in, uh, on the Thames, three days after Princess Diana died. Wow. I stayed there for six weeks, and we did all this great sh- stuff. And in the middle of it, you know, he caught techno fever. This band, Prodigy, just knocked him over. And all of a sudden, he wanted to make a record. Like, and then the record just went away. And so there were some very strange business dealings with his original management. So you kind of producing the record? Yeah, I was producing the record.
0: But now did that record ever
1: come no out? the record never came out right. we never we it, we got eight tracks into it there were about better than three quarters done you know there was just a few bits to do he played some amazing stuff on it it was classic Jeff Beck and um and never got a chance to finish it and, and and you know when Jeff doesn't like something, he shelves it you know I think he's probably got 10 or eleven albums in the in the somewhere hidden somewhere
0: well I certainly hope that that some of the stuff comes out especially that
1: he had a thing about that he's like no when I you know, when I'm gone, burn all the tapes. Like he, like, he didn't like, which is really just a would be a tragedy. Oh yeah, because I'm sure there's, that. I'm sure there's some. Well, now I'm sure he could give a shit, but it's not my place to say anything. Um, I had a wonderful. It was one of the greatest times. I mean, this was 25 years ago.
0: Yeah, well, tell me about when you first met Jeff at that festival at that Ski Valley in front of a million people in Japan that you just.
1: No, well, we had met actually the first time. This is when I first time I met Simon Phillips too, who ended up joining Toto. We had Jan Homer was there, Dougie Wimbush uh, on bass, and uh, Buddy Miles was there, Carlos was there, all these incredible musicians in his band. And I was just the guest guy. I sat in with Carlos's band and I sat in with Jeff. Now, there's, there's some uh, YouTube shit about that gig, and I need to explain myself what people don't understand. Because I look like I'm trying to hot dog the shit, and I look like I'm running around like an idiot. I lo- I got tinnitus that night, and I and I have never had. Um, I haven't heard silence since 1986.
0: Well, slow down one second To me, having just watched Freeway Jam again, with you and Jeff trading so you look like you're just having the time of the life. With I'm you, having with the time your, of my life. life.
1: I'm no. Understand something. I was so honored to be there, but I was so fucking nervous. I'm going here. i How am I supposed to put? You know, like I'm looking at Jeff. This <laughs> <laughs> is some wet dream I had when I was a kid, or something. And at one point, it was so loud that the sound pressure, there were speaker cabinets and monitors completely surrounded. Must have been 120 dB on stage.
0: Yeah, and if you look at the video, there's a row of monitors going from, the, not to mention the side. There was
1: no one, spot one, on one, the, one, the one. stage that you could get away from the sound. Like, you know, like when you're playing live with, uh, without in-ears, you could fi- go away from your amps and find a spot that yeah. it, was, spot. it was 120 dB and you couldn't find it. It was hurting me and I jumped over the front monitors and looked like I was trying to be a hot dog. No, I was trying to get away from my ears bleeding. Yeah. So I looked like an idiot, looked at his oh, was all coked out, and I was like, no man, there's no cocaine in Japan. And I wouldn't do that anyway. Um, but th- I was embarrassed about it because people took it wrong and they don't understand what happened, but my, I've never my, that, that single gig was the last punch to my hearing.
0: I've got someone who will back you up. Jennifer Batten says that she's not sure if this is when Jeff is still with us. She's- I asked her if she would join the band again, and she said she wasn't sure, even if he called her back because the sound was so loud on stage that she couldn't get away from it, just like you were saying.
1: No, it's true. And here's the thing with Jeff when, when he I was got to th- keep you. I'm sorry'm I'm just trying to get away from the fire, you know, it's like I like it warm, but now I'm like roll me over and call the fire department. Um, the thing with Jeff is it, it, the tone that he gets, when, no matter what amps you see from facing the stage, he's got two marshals turned. Backwards facing outwards to the back of the stage, they're dimed. Yeah, and it—we did the show together in in France in July, and the whole band that grew is like, don't don't walk the stage right, because I mean, it's ridiculous. It was it was, but it was brilliant, and the tone was like insane. But I I got really sensitive. Ears. I mean, I have to. You know, I freaking wear a hearing device just when I'm not playing music because you know, I started making amplified music when I was nine years old, and I'm 65. So do the math. And wearing headphones in the studio for 14 hours a day for 25 years, you know, damn near five days, six days a week sometimes, for 14 hours a day, man, my ears got beat down from the from the shocks of feedback and bad patching and. You know, somebody hits the talk back and goes, and you're fucking, you know, third, it's in your ears. You know, yeah. it's like a boxer taking a punch. You know, one of these punches is going to make you go from normal to... Well, that's what it did to my hearing. So I was not only nervous, the sound pressure level was insane. And I was kind of trying to run from it, but still trying to have fun, realizing I'm on stage with Jeff Beck in a very unrehearsed scenario.
2: Okay, so Steve, look at that.
1: And I was just supposed to sit in a jam, and it was very loose. And sometimes when I'm real nervous, I play too much, especially when I was young. And uh, I did; I overplayed, and I made an asshole out of myself, and I regret it. I wish I would have had a little more maturity, to sit back. But it was, it was the mid '80s shred period, and you know, I was just nervous energy, youth. I was 26 years old or something, 27 years old, and it, it was, it was, it was. Not a rookie mistake, but like uh, if they understood what was happening on the stage, you might give me a little more slack to just go, you know, make fun of me for trying to hot dog Jeff Beck when I was never the kid. That's impossible. And Jeff was going, come on, give me some of that shit. And I mean, like he was like well, That is a great moment. You're playing your heart out. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, it was a great moment for me. And, and, and here's the thing, it was never supposed to leave Japan, you know, but of course we live in the internet world. It was supposed to be a one-time TV show. No,
0: Luke, that is treasure. And they t-
1: treasure. They took one side of my amp, so it's almost all, sounds like it's all effects. There's no dry signal, which didn't help my case any at all, because this is the big rack era. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about women. <laughs> <laughs> There's my Luke. You know, but I mean, but you know, I, you know, it was a great experience. I mean, the hang there, we had the best time rolling around golf carts and just drinking together, having a million laughs, and we became really good friends after. We stayed in touch. He was a real friend, and I loved him. I really did, man. And we lost touch for a while after the record thing fell apart and doing some um, bullshit caused by the original management. You can print that and just leave it there. He'd been a rock star since he was 16, man, you know? I don't understand what that life might be. To be, to be that Jeff Beck for 60 years, that's a lot, man. And, you know, if he was really, he'd love something, then he'd hate it. So it was hard to get a gauge on, we'd be all excited about something the next day, he'd come in and go, ah, the snare sound bothers me. I don't like the song, we're not gonna keep the song. I go, I can fix the snare sound, you know? We had, there were weird little things like that. I don't know what he was looking for, maybe I just didn't give it to him, but there's some good shit. I don't know if and when it will ever see the light of day.
0: I afraid that it comes out, but you know, kind of what you're describing is a microcosm of his whole career, where he liked one band for a while, and, you know, a year or two later, or six months later, he's like, I don't, I want to do a different band. Where well, he's you know, just to play Jeff. Woodstock with Rod Stewart and his Jeff Beck group, and he's like, mm, no, nah, I don't think so. I think I'm over this band.
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of Jeff changing his mind.
0: But how much of that him changing his mind or also how much of it is him just having such a pure love for just chasing the next sound?
1: Well, he was never, he said something to me once that was very, like when we were, I was at the house, I like stayed at the house, we were trying to write some stuff together. Jeff wasn't a writer. That bothered him. He'd be like clapped and All oh, this guy's are all rich, blah, 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 blah. Like what that call. And I said to him, I said, those guys write songs, man. Songs that with vocals and, like, have hooks and there were hits and stuff. And that's where the records are. I said, and you don't make a record but once every five years. Back then, he hadn't made a record in a really long time. He, there was a from the time that we tried to do something. I think he tried it with Stuart Copeland. He tried it with somebody else and, and somebody else. And it was all the same budget. John Kolodner was the guy in charge. I never saw a budget. I didn't look at it. They wouldn't let me see anything. But um, getting away from all that bullshit, Jeff is, he said to me, he goes, no matter what it is, I don't want it to sound normal or like anyone else. If it's this note, I want to find a really weird way to play that one note, like a the false harmonic or a weird something different that he could bring to it besides just playing. He's, he's do funny shit like pick. A, he goes, this is what I sound like with a guitar pick. And he starts playing and making fun of other guitar players, imitating them with the pick. It was funny shit. But... uh he told me the story about like the reason why he went to playing with his fingers. Okay. He was on the Ed Sullivan show with the Artbirds, and he dropped his pick and it freaked him out. He says, fuck this shit. I'm never going to use a pick again. Now he would one now and then. But sure. really, when Jeff went from the original, wow, that's Jeff Beck, to holy shit, how does he do that, Jeff Beck? Yeah. I played his guitar. I, there, it's, it's, this cat's so magical. I don't think I've ever seen him tune a guitar. He would pick up a guitar that was, like, rotted, out of tune, strings fucked up. i go, Jesus, Jeff, these strings are, like, what are they, 20 years old? And these are on some, like, the classic guitars, you know? And he goes, eh, ah, yeah, whatever. And there's, like, a B string on the E string. And <laughs> It's like, okay. He picks it up, and it's, like, Fling, perfect. Yeah. Well, was, he, he had perfect pitch, and he didn't know it because he didn't understand what that might be. The ears... Like the worst thing that could have ever happened with Jeff Beck would have been to take lessons and learn how to do it properly. He, there would not be no Jeff Beck, you know. He just yeah. never, wa- he goes, whatever it is, if it sounds normal, I'm not interested. If it sounds like something I did before, I'm not interested. Yeah. And no matter, I go, but think people want to hear the beautiful melodies. He goes, yeah, yeah, I did that. I go, but come on, man. I mean, we'll do it different, you know. He, you know, he was, he was so hard on himself and it was really hard to produce him because as a fan i loved everything he did but as a producer i had to go what happens if you try this or let's do another take and he and there were no ever it was never done twice i used to double something once he goes well you want me to be that studio guy okay even though he's double shit on his own records but that to him was like oh studio trickery or whatever he was like i did that already like once he was doing some wawa thing and i took a a delay and I just put the, like a 50, 60 millisecond delay to the left and what? Is it's that she's a woman thing, you know, yeah. with the, or, or the, the, bah, bah, bah. wow, wow, it's that beautiful stereo. stereo wah-wah thing. Yeah. He goes, I don't no, man, I did that shit 50 years ago. It's like, no, and I go, it wouldn't be fun. He goes, no, no, no. Best wah-tone of all
0: time, all time, right there. All time. Hey,
1: Man, he's the only cat that can play one note and with everybody else and put their fuck guitar back in the case. Again.
2: <laughs> perfectly set.
1: He just comes on, he goes bam, blah, blah, blah. And you go, okay, I'm out of here. That's it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm done. The master has spoken.
0: Like to me, like all of these modern techniques, like let's think of the most modern, which is to me is the floating tremolo. Cheer sure. bar, it was like part of his hand. What What were your impressions of Well, you know, the, the great bar? thing,
1: Simon Phillips told me that when he was in the band with him, because he, he did the there and back and tour and, and wrote the pump and sp, uh, Space Boogie and all that stuff, and he was with Jeff a lot. Jeff spent years refining that before he ever committed it to tape. He was working on it probably back in blow-by-blow blow days. Yeah, well,
0: there's hints of it there.
1: Yeah, you know what I'm saying? He developed that, and I talked to him about it. I said, what did you guys has I just, you know... What? Whatever, it is, I wanted to find different ways to make the electric car guitar sing. That was his voice. You know, the, and the irony is, he had this huge hit called "High Hopes," silver lining that they play at Christmas time, which is his only vocal. They would, but it's it's a traditional thing every year. Everybody in the UK, that's like Mary's singing "Happy Birthday," to, the, and like, and he's like, that would be my only hit single. <laughs> you know, but he's like, he was so self-deprecating, and so humble, but in a very fierce way. Does that make sense? Hum- Fiercely humble. I know that's an oxymoron, but he was very like, oh, man, you know, and, like, and then he, but he knew he had it. Like, like the last thing, he, like, I'm standing with him, like, in July. And I hadn't seen him in a while, and I was standing, he came off the bus, I'm like, sure, you know, we get a hug, and it's like, man, I'm seeing was you. It's in so, France
0: or something? It's in France.
1: We were on the same festival. Big festival out in the middle of fucking nowhere, where it was. One show just happened to be Multi-acts, you know how they do that stuff. I was so happy to see him. And he was. With, this was when Johnny Depp was with him. And Johnny had just won his case. Right. And, you know, Jeff and him bonded on another level that was really obvious to see that they were really connected on a soul level. And it was really, I felt great that they found each other. I mean, I don't know Johnny. I met him for 10 minutes and he was the most lovely guy ever. And he was so sweet and he made a point to come up and say hi to me and shit. If he goes, Jeff, I, I can't even tell you what they did for me. And I said, I can imagine. Jeff and his wife Sandra are lovely people, man. You know, they, and they obviously, I don't know how they met or whatever. It doesn't, the point being is like right before Johnny was, Jeff goes out and rips the fucking place apart. I'm standing outside of the you know, I'm as much of a fan as anybody, you know? I'm reacting and dancing and you know, putting my hands in the air going back, you know? I'm a great fan for other players. I mean, I'm not a stiff at all. And I'm sitting with Johnny and then Johnny goes, he goes, I'm gonna go, he leans over to me and he's so sweet, he goes, I know I ain't got no business being out there, but he, but he's my friend, he loves me when I come out and play. And I said, dude, you guys look like you're having a ball. Go have some fun. Nobody's fucking fuck everybody. Like, it's like he was trying to say to me, in a really sweet way. I know everybody's saying like, what the fuck am I doing out there with Jeff Beck? But that was not where it was coming from at all. And Jeff really just you could see the love he had for him. That was real. And Johnny's a really sweet guy, man. He's not, you know, he was at least I really liked him. I thought he was like, wow, what a great cat, man, you know. And Jeff, and it was a wonderful. Wow, I'll see you, man. I'll see you, we'll hang, you know, I'll see you, hope I see you soon. And that was the last, and then I didn't know he had fallen ill. Apparently, he picked up this ridiculously weird bacterial meningitis. Where do you get that from? Did you
0: hear that he was sick anything beforehand? Or?
1: No, I. but I, after the fact, was, oh, he went, in December, he went, I don't want to say because it it's not my place to do that, but he was in the hospital. Dang. And apparently some of the guys like Eric and went to see him. I saw, Nathan East told me that. Cause i saw him last night he said that eric went to see him when he was in the hospital but in other words his old pals wanted to say goodbye and i didn't know nothing no he didn't want any. jeff classic jeff he didn't want anybody to know except for maybe a handful of people
0: yeah why do you think jeff was the king of playing the melody like, i mean he, he took melody to another level that the electric guitar has never really known although i hear similar stuff. why
1: did why does pavarotti sing the way he does Why does Jimi Hendrix play? Why did Chaco play the way? Why does Vinny play the way he does? Why does anybody play? Who's a Trey, Alan Holdsworth. Where do they come up with the Eddie Van Halen? You know, I could go down the list of all the guys that Tom Morello, the guys that like took it to another, like what the fuck was that? He was a what the fuck was that guy's entire career. If you listen back to those old Yardbirds records, he was way ahead of the curve. He was playing modal shit. And he didn't know he was playing modal shit. I mean, he's completely unschooled. I mean, completely unschooled. Yeah. You know, F sharp thirteen to him means nothing. If you play it for him, play it, he'll figure it out and make it weirder and go, "Wow, I would have never thought to do it that way." Don't ever take guitar lessons. You know what I mean? Because a school guy would never think to grab shit like that. But when it comes down to your original question, the single answer, there's one word answer. That's his touch, man. I played that same guitar, it's only me playing the guitar. He picks up the guitar, any guitar, a shitty guitar, and Jeff Beck comes out full speed ahead. It's in his hands, in his heart. Can't learn it, gotta be born with it. He, God gave him a little extra, that's all I gotta say.
0: Weren't you quoted as saying that when God plays guitar,
1: he it? I said he's God's guitar player, and now he really is. That's what I said in the quote. No, I said he's God's guitar player. God doesn't need to play guitar. He's got Jeff Beck. Yeah, that's what I gotta say about it. Yeah. <laughs> you you can quote me on that. Because up there, I'm Je- Jeff. You know, I mean, you know, there's nobody like him. And listen, I try to fucking. He's a huge influence on me. I love to use, but you know, you know, faux, you know, slide and all that shit. That we, but when he does it, it sounds like something else, man. Yeah. It's it's just this one of a kind touch. He's got that thing that you can't learn. It's extra. Some people get a little extra and some people don't.
0: There's a lot of space in his playing. You know what I mean? Like a lot of room. Like he listens. He
1: never, Jeff never overplayed. He never, ever overplayed. He had certain tricks that he would come back to. Like, you know, we all have our go-to licks when all else fails. (laughs) You You know, a place to start and to work off of or whatever. You know, we all come from the blues anyway, you know, basically. But just, it's the way he attacked each note. I mean it's just his soul was coming through the guitar. It wasn't just like there's a great guitar player on stairs is like, this guy's blessed. Yeah. He's blessed. And we we're blessed to hear him. I think when I was, uh, you know, because the, the character Nigel in Spinal Tap was patterned after, not 100%, but, you know, the hair, you know, because you know, I, I produced some of that record. Yeah. And, not, and Christopher Guest, who played Nigel, he, when I first met Chris and how I even got the gig, there was a big event at uh, Guitar Center for Jimmy Page. And I went with Eddie and some other guys, I and mean, it was like every guitar player in town we went there as a private event, you know, just this honor Jimmy. I think it was before his Rock Walk thing or whatever. Yeah, right and I was about so shit. Hold on a second, my part. my phone, excuse me. <coughs> okay, where was I? So
0: you were at, you're at Guitar Center. Oh yeah. Private event for Jimmy Page. Uh,
1: yeah, and, and uh, the special guest was uh, Chris Guest was going to be, you know, he was going to be there as the just to have fun with it. I had it, And Jimmy Page was so lovely that night to me. He pulled me aside and shit. He'd be in a nice chat. Anyway, getting back to what happens, I walked up to Chris's guest, because I had been with Jeff, and I said, man, what do you think about this, man? And I think they were patterned the, the Nigel character after you a little bit. And, he and Jeff started laughing. He goes, yeah, man, that was funny shit. And so I, I walked up to Chris, and I, who I'd never met before, and he was just sitting there in character. And those guys, when they get in character, they usually never stop. And I walked up to him, and I said, hey, Chris, Steve, look. And he's like, oh, well, how are you doing with the fake accent? I leaned over to him. And I said, by the way, Jeff Beck loves the, loves the fact that you kind of pattern your thing. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and he broke character and spoke. He goes, he's not mad? <laughs> and I said, no, man. He thought it was funny. He goes, oh, God. So... And then I got to talk to him like a real person. I see, He says, we're doing a record. I said, hey, man, I'd love to work with you guys. Blah, blah, blah. And they called me, and I'd end up doing four tracks for the Break Like the Wind record, which I got Jeff to play on. There's a song, Break Like the Wind. The track, there's six guitar solos. I forget what order, but it's Jeff, Brian May, Satch, me, Nigel, and Slash. And everybody had like, you know, four or eight bars, and it goes up a half step and all this stuff. And Jeff, I gave Jeff the last one, and I sent it off to England. I go, send me something great. And he did.
0: He, did
1: Jeff plays the last one? He plays the last... I don't have to tell you which one it is. If you, you know, if, if you like Jeff Beck, even if you don't, you'll go, that's Jeff Beck. Um, no, it was great. I mean, we did all kinds of fun shit together. I
0: once did a great event with Michael McKean as David St. Hubbins. Yeah,
1: friend. love Michael.
0: It was for Oracle or something. They asked me how much, and I named a the number. They were like, fine. I'm like, damn, I should have named a higher number.
1: It's funny. You know, I always like to say, well, what are you offering? Because you don't want to go like, uh, okay... Thousand bucks, like oh, we were going to pay you five thousand. <laughs> yeah, no
2: one's
1: going to say that. Yeah, you know, you always got to throw the ball back. Well, I mean, unless it's a s- set rate thing where everybody has, like s- yeah. double scale or whatever the fuck it is.
0: So what, what? What's ironic now is if someone listens to your song, "Song for Jeff."
1: Well, you know, a lot time, of people, they, a lot of people think that was it was kind of a multiple nod—one to Jeff for one to Jeff back. I wish I could play like Jeff Beck, but I don't. But he is an influence and somebody that touches my heart for a deep... And what was great about Jeff. I got to see it all up close, you know? I recording. It. I got, you know, talk about how do you do that? Well, I was in the room. I watched it all. I saw the whole process and how we like to do things and certain things. He, he liked it a certain way. He liked to have a certain, like, reverb and delay thing, but without obvious delay. Like in the
2: headphones while he's driving.
1: No, he wanted to do all the shit. Well, the way we did it is the way he wanted to play was in the control room With a Champ amp that was in there facing up at his guitar, so we could do the, you know, he could get the speaker simulation thing, and then of course a Marshall out in another room with a 57 or whatever the guys were putting on it, basically that. But man, when every time he picked the thing up, man, it was just. And sometimes he'd get hard on himself and be bummed out, and I'd be like, why? What's? Why do you? You? Why are you so hard on yourself?
0: To me, I love making melodies using harmonics, you know, mixing as many harmonics into a single note melody as I can, and I really think of Jeff Beck. Is that something that I've heard you hit?
1: Oh, I mean, you know, I'd be lying. I'd be, be, yeah, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I fucking, you know, I'd throw something I stole from him now and then, but it's obvious, oh, he's doing Jeff Beck now. It's not like I invented that. I mean, I, I steal from everybody, man. What the fuck? You steal, steal from the best.
2: Yes. You know
1: what I mean? I mean, I could play the same licks, but I wouldn't sound like him it's It would be an homage with respect and love, but I ain't gonna fucking go out and you know try to do an impression of Jeff Beck and like with any with a straight face anyway, It'd be like a honor of his music. I mean, I played his music before, but I'd do my version of that like everybody else would, but when Jeff does it, like there's just a he was like a tsunami of sound and ideas and Fattest guitar sound I've ever heard on a stage.
0: And why is that? It's not like he's using the craziest amp. He's often using those Marshall DSLs, you know, PC board amps. They're good. I think... Why is his tone... No,
1: he's got, he's got a couple of plexis dying behind the stage, old school. Yeah. But he also has the stuff as well. I mean, from what I saw, I mean, I've seen, like, in the studio, is one thing. It was just a Marshall, you know, out in the other room. But live, he's... I mean, It's just him, man. I'd love to say there's a magic guitar and amp, but it's magic. The magic was in him, and the magic's not here anymore, and that's heartbreaking. The fact that I'll never be able to stand on the side of a stage again, or and hear him really playing live, and like I just I feel so I feel for the band. I feel for the people. I mean, I Tal and I had a quick back and forth, and I just you know I was busted up over you know because I'm just glad that my last experience was. Real positive, you know. We, and then uh, fucking Jeff, he's just about to go on stage, and he goes, don't expect too much. I haven't been playing much lately. And I go, shut up. And he That's goes, as up. he walks on and just eviscerates the, the uh, venue. You know, everybody was screaming after everything he played. I mean.
0: is that outdoor show? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's always been like that. You know, he takes his time off to do his hot rods and his... Yeah. Real, his true love, yeah.
1: cars. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever, you know, he's a homebody guy. I mean, you know, he, I can't speak for him because you should ask people that were really close to him recently. I mean, I've been an lo- old friend, and we see each other every once in a while for him. And once everything got sorted out and he realized that, yeah, I mean, there were some very strange things that happened to him. He was real quiet about his childhood and stuff, and he was basically a pretty shy guy. But when he put that fucking guitar on, he wasn't shy.
0: I know it's crazy, right? Well, you
1: got to get it out somewhere, man. Maybe part of his intensity and his emotional playing was based upon his life, and maybe a harder emotional thing in his life. He was able to get out on the guitar.
0: I always think his guitar sounds huge too, because there's so much. He leaves so much room for the band, and then when he played a note have such impact? Well, there's
1: not a lot. If you listen to the records, there's like nice pads and occasionally a little movement. But like you said, yeah. there was always that big center. Yeah. This is where the voice is, and he was the voice.
0: If you're going down to the Potato tomorrow night, what Jeff Beck tunes would you like to, you like to jam on?
1: If I was like, going?
0: Like, you know, you're doing your shows. Or
1: what? I'd probably do Brush with the Blues just because you can be very emotive on that. And it's easy, and it's, it's, it's a fun thing to play over. I mean, some of his trickier stuff, I mean, it would be fun to grab, too, but, you know, potato jams are generally best left uncomplicated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's so many great tunes, I mean, because we've just ended, it's almost like too many people have done that one, but we used to do it a long time ago.
0: Baldwin insisted that I play something for Jeff. That we had four shows left in Japan, and I did like you know, amid the A B section of that. Oh, we probably
1: brought the house down.
0: It was very nice, yeah, man. And a nice homage
1: from you, man. You're a good dude.
0: Well, first of all, speaking of the potato, what was the joke you told this year? You must. Have I didn't. No joke this year. That's probably good. I didn't <laughs> have one
1: because I I just had my knee replaced, and it was in a lot of pain. It was only four days after I had it replaced. My doctor's like, you're out of your mind. So I was there, and we did three nights, six shows, because I, I didn't want to bail. Because people flew in from all over the joint, I didn't want to. I didn't want to let anybody down. But it was. I sat down. I was in a lot of pain. And I had a couple of you know, pain pills in me. First night was a little loose. I was okay, but second, third night were really good. And I had a lot of fun, but it was a little premature.
0: Hey, you've got a new record coming out. Anything you want to say about that?
1: It's called Bridges. It's coming out in June. I'll send you a copy of it. Yeah. It's a, it's rather retro. I mean my last album was for me. I just got, I did it in 8 days, all the souls everything live. I wanted to see if I still had it to do it and I, and that was for me, some very self-indulgent long jams in the studio like I imagined it might have been like to be at Electric Ladyland in 1969 but except it was 2010 or 2020 or whatever the fuck I did the last record. This time I went back to I called all my Toto brothers, DePage and Joseph and I we wrote a bunch of, most of the records, Stan Lynch from the Heartbreakers wrote some lyrics with us. My son Trev co-wrote and produced a track. And it's like eight tracks of very, I don't know, old school, Not it's more from like, you know, well, it, it'll be, it's more song oriented.
0: Live in the studio
1: kind of? Thing. No, this is more produced up and I downshifted my playing to being very tasteful and very melodic as opposed to super flashy, I got to Tug my dick on the last record, you know. Um, now this one, I just wanted to do something a little bit more. The record company loves it because they think it's like, oh, this is all great. I don't know, you know, who's gonna? I hope somebody likes it. You know, I'm gonna put it out there and we'll see what happens. In the meantime, I'm out in the road with Toto and Ringo all year. Yep,
0: yeah, it never ends. It's just great. Um, probably too soon to give us a little sample MP3 of the record, huh?
1: yeah I the record company doesn't even have it yet. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to, but no, I, I can't right yet. I will. Oh yeah, well
0: you know you're always
1: welcome to. Thanks. I mean, the, well thanks if we could do something like you know you know June or July or something like that you know Hell when it comes out. Yeah. Hell yeah. to the yeah. Hell to the yeah. When are you me. going out?
2: With
0: the band? Yeah. It's funny, man. We just went back to New Zealand with that promoter that we when I was out there with you. The same promoter it was this time it was UB40 was a headliner. Right. We got to send <laughs> love
1: to everybody for me, man. I love uh, all you guys. Man.
0: Anyway, we just sent we just did Japan right after that so. And then we just came back. But you know. anyway, Luke, thanks for uh, hanging out. Luke, the